0: but I don't want to. An Anxiety Happy Hour is three adults with anxiety talking about mental health and other sensitive topics. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to,
2: but I don't want to, an anxiety happy hour.
0: Or an anxiety happy hour for short. Or as I like to call it.
2: ah.
3: (laughs) So we have decided on a very loose structure. None of us are very good at the structure. But we decided how we're going to set up most of the episodes. But this is not that. So (laughs) this is going to be the weird episode. Let's be real. They're all going to be the weird episode. But. Um, We figured our first episode should sort of tell you a little bit about us, because we're, we're going to be getting into some deep things in this podcast, so you might want to at least know our names, perhaps. Um, my name is Beamer.
0: My name is Bunsen.
2: And I'm Brittany.
3: And uh, just to do a little therapy medicine roll call, I go to therapy. I also have a psychiatrist who gives me medication.
0: Ooh, I also go to therapy on a weekly basis. Uh, I also have a psychiatrist who gives me several medications. Uh, and I actually take them most of the time. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you.
2: Um, I'm neither in therapy nor do I take medication, but I probably should be. And I do sometimes take like a little over-the-counter stress and mood I don't know, vitamin thing. And I feel like that helps if I take it at the beginning of a day I know will be stressful as opposed to in the midst of a stressful activity.
3: Now, I know that changing your nutrition and everything can really helps balance. Um, I've I found that when I've changed where I eat more vegetables and eat less junk and exercise more and all of that, I create those natural endorphins that make me happy and I should do it all the time but then I'm lazy and just sit on the couch with my dog and I don't get those natural endorphins coming in how do you know which over-the-counter type vitamins to take that is
2: so not a question I'm qualified to answer but the thing (laughs) I take just it literally says like stress and mood enhancement um did you just find it one day at at one of the pharmacies or Yeah. Well, okay. So my boyfriend's child was out of her ADHD medication. So I was looking for those little vitamins that are supposed to help kids focus. They don't. Um, (laughs) and I saw this little stress and mood enhancer or something pill. I don't, I can't find it, but I, I know it's here somewhere. Um, (laughs) and yeah, I, I just decided to try it because I was frazzled and, it definitely works better i think and i don't know if it's placebo effect or something but if i take it at the beginning of the day if i can because sometimes you know how you just well maybe you don't maybe that's just a me thing you just feel yourself be more ramped up some days and like
3: oh for sure okay great i'm glad that's (laughs) not a just me thing
2: um if i take it on those days i feel a little more down to earth
3: i think my problem is i don't know that it's going to be that kind of day Until I walk out my door and I'm like halfway to the bus stop. And then I was like, oh, is it one of those days? (laughs) But then it's too late.
0: Now, interestingly enough, um, you know, I tried some over-the-counter things. But given that, you know, I'm living in a state where it's legal, um, my over-the-counter things had THC in them. (laughs) Um, Ooh, the Mary Jane, you say? Indeed. It certainly helped, uh, you know, to relax you know, especially at the end of a long day where I was feeling super stressed out. But there was a little bit of what I can only describe as like a brain hangover, um, especially if, you know, if I'd taken, you know, a certain dosage of an edible or something, uh, I might wake up the next day and kind of just feel like, ah, I feel a little empty inside. It um, wasn't mm-hmm. a depressed feeling or an anxious feeling, but just a little like, hmm, where where are those fun things that i was feeling before i I mean Um, it's
3: probably just an emptiness from lack of snacks
0: i don't know that also might be the case um (laughs) but you know interestingly you know i i thought about you know treating the anxiety that way um and really in the end it wasn't you know what was effective for me Um, i happened to discover during the course of therapy um gabapentin uh, which is a prescription medication um and that is not like some of the other ones you might have heard of out there um i know a lot of people you know know of Xanax and things like that um this is not that um it doesn't have those same types of effects uh, but it does they actually use it to treat nerve pain in people with like diabetes um and it actually like just calms your whole nervous system down so mm. um that uh definitely made a night and day difference in the way i felt um almost immediately so it's been a godsend for me Um, it takes the physical symptoms of anxiety away and i was experiencing severe physical symptoms um you know to the point where i just really almost felt like i couldn't function
3: um i you know it's sort of wild even the people who self-medicate with marijuana for anxiety which is very typical where where Bunsen and I live um if you go in the store they're like well what do you want to use it for are you looking to sleep are you looking to wake up or are you trying to stimulate your appetite are you trying to do this are you trying to do that so there's so many different strains and so many different ways to treat different parts that you might need and the same thing is with anxiety is it is not a one-size-fits-all onesie like you gotta (laughs) You got to find what's snuggliest for you.
0: Absolutely. And that is sort of the tough part about any of these types of journeys when it comes to, you know, medicating, right? Um, it's a little bit more difficult when you're just relying on over the counter where you don't really, you know, know how it affects things and, you know, what chemicals are being activated. Mm-hmm. You need more literature on prescription stuff, but the bottom line is most of what people go through with, you know, getting meds is trial and error and deciding what symptoms you want to live with, uh, what side effects you're comfortable dealing with. Um, You know, there's all sorts of different ones. And I'm sure that we'll get to them in some of the other podcasts as well. But some of them are not pleasant, depending on your situation. Um, And some you may be willing to deal with if it, you know, relieves one particular symptom that's really getting you down.
3: Yeah, and it doesn't help that a lot of uh, psychiatrists prescribed medicines take months to figure out whether they work for you. Mm. And so you have to sort of be like, is this a always-time side effect, or is this my body getting used to new
2: hormones?
3: And and so it, it, it's a balance in that regard, too.
2: Well, and to add on to that, in the South where I am not all of the, because I used to work with a lot of children who required some psychotropic medications and not all of the doctors prescribing these things were psychiatrists. Sometimes they were just, you know, MDs and medical doctors, and that's not to downplay their knowledge, I guess, or their they're qualified to prescribe, but that's not really their expertise. And sometimes even you'll want to check with your pharmacist to see how different medications are interacting because dr a might be prescribing this and dr b might be prescribing that for totally unrelated issues but they're gonna what all they do and how they act and all this and that
3: yeah for
0: sure that's a great point of privilege right there and i hadn't thought about that either but just to kind of you know piggyback off of that a little bit you know up here and you know You know, we live in an area where we have a plethora of world-class hospitals um, right near us, you know, within a a half hour drive at most. What helped me was getting both my primary care physician and my psychiatrist in the same system um, so that they could see everything in each other's notes at all times. Um, And then, you know, again, finding a really active and competent psychiatrist um, who you know, was responsive and understood my concerns and actually listened. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's been a long time since I had one, and it's only been the past about a year and a half that I've had uh, this new psychiatrist who actually is, you know, doing good things for me. So it's difficult no matter where you are, but you're, you know, the point of access there, um, it, it has to be said, that is such a huge issue.
3: Yeah, definitely the inconsistencies in our country with the availability and the knowledge of healthcare is huge. But, like, shout out to our friend whose dad for a while there used to accept livestock in exchange for his doctor services. <laughs> um, bless them.
0: You are re- You two are really from the South, aren't you? Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay, so I'm going to get a little bit into me and what made me an anxious person I mean I think a little bit I was born this way like there's a baby picture of me holding a bottle of champagne and I think that it starts my life um, but <laughs> I, I was sort of trained into being an extrovert the way that I understand it being an introvert you get your energy from being alone being an extrovert you get your energy from other people people exhaust me. But I was told as a child that being shy was not an option. And so I've, I've sort of been conditioned into being a little more social than I think I was made to be. Um, and in that same regard, whenever I'm very scared of something, like I hate flying and heights and a lot of other things, I sort of force myself to face those fears and to, to feed into those fears, because if I can do it, then it doesn't control me. And I have serious control issues. We'll talk about that on the later episode, maybe the next one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, some people think that, that I'm kind and funny, and I, I hope that both of those things are true. But certainly I use humor to cover up some of my anxieties and to sort of downplay when I am uncomfortable in a situation. I also try and be funny when I think I'm funny because I'm I'm awesome like that. Um, And then I also have a lot of imposter syndrome. I think that that's a big buzzword lately because a lot of my friends have the same feeling that we are very qualified to do things, but you put us in those situations. And we're like, who left me in charge? This was a terrible, terrible mistake. and, and I'm in a, a job right now that I sort of stumbled into. And every day I'm like, who let me do this? But, but we're working on it. I, I think I'm fairly good at my job. I'm hoping I get better all the time. And uh, the, the more that I practice something, the less of an imposter I feel like. It's always sort of lingering in the back of my mind, but I, I try and drown her out. But I, I definitely undermine compliments at work and in my social life with that humor, which doesn't help with the imposter syndrome. Um it just makes people feel like I i don't have that, but I do. I really, really do. And so that's scratching the surface of my anxious ball of twine. I Bunsen. think you're funny. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Bunsen, why don't you tell us about what makes you anxious?
0: I'm gonna second Brittany by the way. You are funny, so don't worry. Um so yeah, I am the elder millennial of the bunch here. So um, I have vivid memories of like growing up in the Cold War and being afraid of getting nuked by the Russians. Um, so that's, you know, a great way to start your childhood. Um, you know, there was the Reagan era, right? So we had Nancy with like, just say no. So that started dare in schools. I'm sure you guys remember that. So I do
3: remember dare. If you Definitely. A-
0: even thought about doing drugs, you were going to die.
3: I, I think my favorite performance, though, was when they had the jugglers and the shiny objects as they told us not to do drugs.
0: Exactly. It worked so well, right? Like, we remember the jugglers and shiny objects, but, like, the, oh, yeah, don't forget that other part. Um, <laughs> yeah, they also did things like Saved by the Bell, where, like, they had Jesse get addicted to caffeine pills, you know? Like, that was going to ruin your life. Um, so, just, like, the time frame that, you know, I remember growing up in was certainly... Affecting me. Um, I have a weird sort of relationship with food because I have a bunch of food allergies. Um, you know, I'm allergic to peanuts and tree nuts and shellfish. Nobody was allergic to peanuts when I was a kid. So I was different from everyone. Um, when I was little, I started school early. I was supposed to be one of the you know, special people, the bright ones. Um, but I got held back in kindergarten due to age restrictions. Um, so I lost all my friends I made in my first two years of school. Um, and I think, I don't know if I'd been shy up to that point, but I was certainly shy after that. Um, you know, I was also a chubby kid. So there was that and it was a goody two shoes as well. You know, I did nerdy things, um, it was boy Scouts. I went to Catholic school, so I was an altar server. So, you know, it wasn't exactly the cool kid. Um, so a lot of those little things led to me being super anxious. Um, you know, I think I had a lot of separation anxiety, you know, moving on from there to going to a public high school, starting over with no friends again. You know, it's you're a teenager. You're awkward. I definitely didn't date, so um, you know that I think contributed a lot to social anxiety. Uh, And then, you know, in adulthood, having all sorts of unhealthy habits and things like that. Um, You know, smoking. um, I did that. Unhealthy habits. You
3: shouldn't talk about your ex wife that way.
0: I, right. <laughs> I mean, that was a very unhealthy habit. We'll get to that in another episode, too. Um, <laughs> but I didn't actually get diagnosed with anxiety until I was, you know, 27. Um, and, you know, I had my first panic attack, though, when I took uh, Wellbutrin and Adderall, which were prescribed um, at the same time. So that was fun. Um, mm. And yeah, you know, so a lot of tweaking of meds over the years. Um you know again mentioning the marriage having a partner who you know is very type a and very dominant um i was definitely not comfortable sort of speaking up and advocating for myself so i got to be very miserable for a long time um and you know it was only after i got out of that marriage that i realized just how much the anxiety you know had affected me and kept me from doing things um so it's little stuff too though you know I'll wake up in the morning and, oh, it's tough to get out of bed. Or, oh, I don't want to put laundry in. Um, So the anxiety keeps me from doing tiny things. uh, And that's the real fight that I have with it on an ongoing basis. Um, So it's not just a big creeping monster. It's a little nagging thing that's always there.
2: Hmm. What you said about changing schools a lot really resonated with me. I've been to somewhere between 10 to 15 schools
0: Hmm.
2: So that, yeah. Hear you there.
0: <laughs> yep. Well, I was gonna say, Beamer has as well, right?
3: I I mm-hmm. have as well. Um, and I don't know if you're comfortable talking with it. We can always edit it out if you're not. But Brittany, you also did a lot of house shuffle, so I think that that's just as mm-hmm. impactful as the the school switches.
2: Yeah. So I guess um, I'll do me. <laughs> 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 um, I think that. A lot of my anxiety comes from feelings of, like, loss and separation um, and insecure attachment. Um, I had very, very young parents. I can't fault them for that. I love them. Um, But that being said, like, they were very young. They were in the South. Women are not supposed to work. The men are supposed to provide for the family or go to the military, something like that. My dad went to the military. And that moved us to the Midwest um, when I was six months old, away from both of their support systems. Um, and so very early on, I was exposed to things like, you know, domestic violence and military life and divorce. And um, I don't remember, but I've, I'm betting somewhere in my subconscious, there's lingering feelings or memories of, you know my mom begging my dad to come see me and him not seeing me. There's a hella daddy issues in here. At some point their their divorce judge agreed that changing custody every five years was going to be <laughs> a swell plan. Um, so I kind of always knew growing up, Oh, at five, I will go live with this parent at 10. I will go live with that parent at 15. I was old enough to make my own choice, but the plan was again to switch. So, With one parent being in the military and the other parent being away from everything she knew and all the societal norms that she knew, uh, that just led to a lot of instability in my young life. And then um, just they would change jobs. They would move houses. I've lived in probably close to 30 different houses or apartments or homes. And even as an adult, I've moved a lot. I'm in the same house that I'm in right now. The longest i've ever been anywhere so i've been here it'll be three years in the fall and that's the longest i've ever lived anywhere um does that see. make you a whole new kind of bank a little bit i keep talking to my boyfriend like hey we should we should move what <laughs> do you keeps... think of a whole new place <laughs> <laughs> i'll be on zillow like do you like this have you ever thought about living in that state and like he's you know very stable his whole family is here he grew up here his child's going to the same schools he went to and I'm just like what is that <laughs> um well, so what do you mean you don't want to pick up your whole life and <laughs> run away it's super easy I can show you how <laughs> um, yeah I know you have a kid bring her <laughs> yeah no she can change schools it's fine <laughs> um but yeah so I was also an only child for six years um and I'm my mom's only child. My dad went on to have, there are eight of us. One is a step-sibling, but she's, there are eight of us. Anyway, I'm my mom's only. So in the years that I was with my mom, um, and they, they did great, like, holidays and uh, school breaks. I would go see the parent I wasn't living with up until I was about 12. And then... So when I was with my mom, she was a workaholic. She's a real go-getter. She also instilled in me a lot of anxiety about your reputation. Your reputation is everything. Um, it is of the utmost importance, which I, I know Beamer can relate to. I'm not sure about you. I don't Benson. know what you're talking about.
3: <laughs> Never heard this before in my life.
0: Not a conversation that I had, but you know, there was a different thing. There was Catholic guilt, which also has Ah. a different type of anxiety.
2: So I'm glad you bring that up. So you talked about culture and growing up and kind of what was going on when I was growing up. Purity was a huge thing. Um, And so, you know, I want a good reputation. I want to please my mom. I, you know, want to be a good kid. I had um, an instance of childhood sexual trauma when I was about four. And I thought that that was this big shameful secret and could ruin me because purity is the big cultural thing right now. And, you know, you got to save yourself for marriage. And, um, so that led to a lot of like clinging onto religion and anxiety about anything to do with anything sort of, uh, sexual at all. Um, I was really, really, really boy crazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but Also had, like, very firm boundaries in, like, not wanting to do anything with them. (laughs) I I believe the phrase I was raised with was, they won't
3: buy the cow if they get the milk for free. Which is just what every little girl should hear, (laughs) that she's just cattle. But whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Livestock
0: to be owned. I mean, (laughs) Jesus. Or
2: traded for medical... Services. (laughs)
0: Services. <laughs> you know, in light of recent events too, it just makes it that much more horrifying. Yeah.
3: I, I was watching an article today because that's where I get my news now on YouTube. And <laughs> um that doesn't scream millennial. It's fine. Anyway, it was a uh North Carolina abortion clinic that was over there just like these people moved in next door to us, bought the property next door to us just so they're closer to protest every <laughs> single day awesome. and you see the clips of these um, protesters and they honestly believe they are doing the righteous and the good thing by making the assumption that they know best <laughs> which is the south if ever i've heard the south yes
2: for sure i'm gonna wrap myself up real quick but i was gonna say being alone a lot like when my mom was working her butt off that led me to taking a lot of planning and advantage of any human contact that I had. So I tried to cultivate, um, this outgoing person that is very pleasing to others. And I tried to watch people to figure out what they like and what they'll respond well to and what they don't respond well to. And if they don't respond well to me, that's the end of my entire world. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs)
3: Love it. But you know, the anxiety that it's made you is the same girl that ran across the student lounge and tackled <laughs> me.
2: I knew you would like
3: it. <laughs> hey, you know, I fell for you.
2: <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, college was a super important time in like letting go a lot of those feelings that made me anxious, I guess. I, I feel like I was less anxious in
0: college. I think that release of like going out there as a quote-unquote adult um and your early 20s there it certainly is like freeing and it definitely does you know feel like a weight's lifted but i certainly felt that anxiety hammer come down hard (laughs) especially you know in my late 20s once you know there was the pressure of like oh no i'm going to be married oh no i'm going to have to think about how i start a family and do all these other things yes
3: I know nothing about that marriage your family sounds garbage <laughs> don't recommend <laughs>
2: but there there is it's like a like a a wave kind of you i don't know if the crest is the good or the bad part but you get a little break in college and then once you have to like do all of the adult stuff yourself it hurts <laughs> it's
0: like all a right. tsunami <laughs>
2: yes well
3: that'll wrap up our our nonsense episode and next time you'll get a real setup probably maybe we'll see but thank you for joining us for the very first episode of But I Don't Want To, An Anxiety Happy Hour. Bye. 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 Bye.
1: <laughs> now to roll the credits.
0: Big thanks to Sam Rochford for her use of the song Pedals. You can listen to the full version on Spotify, Apple Music, or any of those other places that you find music. If you want to connect with her and you're secretly 83 years old, like me, Her Facebook page is called Sam Rochford Music. And if you're hip and cool, her TikTok is Boring Sad Music.
1: Do you like our logo? It was done by friend of the pod and artist extraordinaire, The Ramble Pies. Her Instagram and TikTok are at the.ramble.pies. Don't know what you want, but want some art? Her Etsy is The Rambling Merchant. Now that's all one word. She does do commissioned works if you have something in mind.
0: You can reach us at
1: linktree slash anxiety happy hour
0: on Instagram at an anxiety happy hour
1: on Facebook at an anxiety happy hour
0: on YouTube at but I don't want to an anxiety happy hour
1: on Twitter at anxiety HH pod because apparently there's character limitations.
0: Thanks Elon. On TikTok at an anxiety happy hour
1: or email us at an anxiety happy hour at gmail.com.
0: This has been a Be Anxious production. The relationship episode is where we get into Beamer's uh, Bridgerton obsession.
3: Hey, it is not an obsession. I still haven't seen that. It's just sex. <laughs> <laughs>